0: People feel they have the, the right to tell you what your racial identity is. So if, if I say, you know, I'm black or part black or whatever I used to say when I was young, people uh, would tell me, no, you're not black. <laughs> or they would say, you can't, are you pretending, are you trying to pass? Are you, you know, are you pretending to be white?
1: Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. And my goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce do guests who will excite and inspire you to share your own gifts and talents with the world And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, which was a finalist in the BookFest Best Book Awards, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits and many pictures of my new puppy, Frankie. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at JudyBanker.com. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design no s and it showcases my fun comfortable and zesty polymer earrings these earrings are fun to make and fun to wear so check out my new shop Zestful Design on Etsy Well, I couldn't be more excited about our interview today. I've been a big fan of today's guest for a long time. And my own book about mastering podcast interviewing was inspired by her now viral TED Talk and her book, We Need to Talk. She explores the epidemic of busyness and helps us understand how we came to be so distracted and burned out in her excellent book do nothing. and her work couldn't be more timely and relevant and I am thrilled to have her on the show. A self-described light-skinned black Jew, Celeste Headley has made it a priority to talk about race proactively, her brand new book, Speaking of Race, uh, in it, she shows us how and why it's so important to have productive conversations about race, and she's going to tell us how to do that. Welcome to the show, Celeste. What a lovely introduction. Thank you. Oh, it's a—it's quite a mouthful. It is so <laughs> yeah. Hard. Listen, you know, you do not shy away from hard topics. Uh, you just dive right in. Yeah. Uh, our need for busyness, our decrease in empathy as a culture, and our tendency to shy away from really on brutally honest conversations about race. And as I said to you off mic, I really do think you should be awarded an honorary degree as a psychotherapist. You're like one of us. (laughs) Yeah, I do feel like
0: you guys are my people. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Have you always been that kind of person where you just don't, you're not a small talk kind of person, you just go right to it?
0: I'm not sure. I mean, I think the first time it ever occurred to me to think about it was in high school and um, like so many people, high school was just dreadful mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and I was the I was often the subject of a lot of different rumors and people talking behind my back and I discovered that uh, one of the most effective ways I could, cut down on gossip was by just telling everybody everything. Because then <laughs> <laughs> because then when someone said, oh, my God, did you hear about Celeste? The other person would yeah. be like, yep. She told is. us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it, it just sort of cut down. And then I also was able to control the narrative, right? I was the one telling that story. Um, and so, I mean, that's the first time I can say I consciously thought about sort of radical honesty and just putting things out on the table. Um, But I don't know, maybe I've always been this way, it's possible. Do you
1: think, I mean, even though it sounds like, well, high school was not easy for you socially, do you think that you had a particular kind of confidence? Because that is not a strategy most high school kids reach for. They don't say, okay, I'm just gonna tell you everything
0: yeah I mean I'm not really i i really am not sure I don't think i it was confidence um I mean I grew up in a family led by a, a a pretty determined narcissist um so insecurity was the the bigger problem that I always had I'm not sure that it was confidence I just feel like um growing up in the household where I was, my defense tactics became very highly Developed at a very young age.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, not just offense, but you know, in order to survive in that kind of household, you know, you really have to be proactive <laughs> about maintaining your own identity, right? I mean, that, that just becomes either you crumple and you become absorbed into some of this other person's life, or you just get very determined to say, this is who I am, and this is going to be, and this is how I'm going to do stuff.
1: And I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it as it is. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So.
1: That's so that gives you some power.
0: Yeah, exactly. In a, in a household where your, your power is mostly stripped away intentionally, that does give you this measure of, of control. Mm,
1: we could have a whole episode about <laughs> growing up in that kind of environment. Um, but... To complicate what you call, you know, a narcissistic um, style, we can say, a household, you also grew up biracial. Yeah. And your mom's side, of course, so we know that that's where the bloodline comes from, was Jewish, as mine is as well, in spite of my last name, Christina. My father actually was German and fought, my grandfather fought for the Germans until he went AWOL. So wow. that's a bit of a complicated wow. <laughs> history as well, from kosher <laughs> to,
0: you know, doing the,
1: you know, the worst fighting for a Hitler. Thing. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. But you yeah. know, that's that's true of so many African-American families um, because as a multiracial person, that means that my ancestors were not only slaves, they were also slave owners.
1: Mm, right. Um, how have you i mean we can talk i want to talk about the book because it's so important but how do you walk around with those sort of warring entities
0: yeah and i i think that you know again a lot of this comes out of what you learn to do the resilience you either learn or don't as a young person um and I think that so I'm I'm what people call uh, racially ambiguous, right? Um, a lot of some a lot of people think that I'm Dominican if they think I'm anything, mm-hmm. um, and so I have been having to ask answer that question. And you know, this may be another reason why I'm not afraid of tough conversations. It's because you know that one of the most common questions I get asked is, "What are you?"
1: Mm-hmm. You practiced in answering that question.
0: Um, yeah, and my answer changed over time. I mean, certainly as a young person, I was not prepared to uh, push back. People feel they have the the right to tell you what your racial identity is. Um, so if if I say you know I'm black or part black or whatever I used to say when I was young, people uh, would tell me, "No, you're not black." <laughs> <laughs> or they would you're say are not black enough to be black right or they would say you can't are you pretending are you trying to pass are you mm. you know are you pretending to be white um and then of course i i all kinds of ways when you're not a, a practicing jew there's all kinds of ways to explain that to a non-Jewish person, right? I mean, I would, for a while, I would say I'm Jewish by birth. And every Jewish person would be like, what does that mean? Right. I I
1: can see that not going over
0: well. No, that did not go over well. Um, but. You know, people who are, are not Jewish don't often understand the ins and outs of that. So now I don't say that anymore. I just say I'm Jewish and that's that. And if they have other questions, they can ask me. So I think that, like, being forced by adults, by authority figures, being challenged uh, about my own identity and... Um, having to literally having to stand up for myself to say this is who I am in so many aspects of my life number one removed the fear for me it was just like exposure therapy right mm-hmm. um but it also made me uh a little empathetic about other people it made me stop and ask before i made assumptions about others mm. I'll tell you a little funny story. One of my friends,
1: my last name is Christina, and she calls me Christina. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Jewish part. (laughs) Um, So have you noticed that as Black Lives Matter uh, has come into the forefront, has your sense of your own identity shifted, or has that that happened on your own time way before this became uh, a big thing in the news.
0: Yeah, it happened in my own time. Part, you know, I I was kind of radicalized by racism. Like, because we live in such a racist society and because I was, here's the thing. When you are, when when a white person or white system discovers, I mean, we're using audio, but imagine that I'm using air quotes, Mm -hmm. discovers that I'm black. Um, That's all they see you as anymore. We're so racialized that Mm -hmm. people struggle. Once they get in their mind that you're black, they struggle to see you as anything else. That you're not part of their tribe anymore. Exactly. Exactly, mm. and they assume you are going to behave. You're going to have the same politics as what they think black people have. You're going to same have the opinions as as what they believe black people have. It's all nonsense, but um, that's what they can, they can't get away from that. Uh, and so there was no way on God's green earth I was ever going to attempt to pass. I don't care how light my skin is. First of all, it was not possible. My grandfather's a very very famous. Black icon, mm-hmm. um, the 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 dean In of African American composers, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but e- I, even if he that hadn't been true, I would never. It would have felt like dishonoring my family to try to pass and pretend I was white, or at least not bring up my black heritage. I, it, it that just was not an option for me, and and what that meant was I knew I knew at a very young age that as soon as I told people I was black, I was just black. <laughs> as far as they were concerned, what are
1: the behaviors that that you, that you observed when you said, "Listen, you know, I'm black. You may not think I'm black, but I'm black." Then what happened?
0: I mean, it's almost a, a, it's it, it's almost like a, a sitcom. I mean, it's so com- the behavior becomes so common and predictable that it you know it's funny because a. Uh, there's a certain number of people who would be mad at me because they've said something racist and they almost feel tricked mm-hmm. that I didn't reveal earlier <laughs> that I was uh, black. Um, then there are people who want to then prove how not racist they are. Mm. So they start telling you about their black friends or the work that they do with whatever charity or how much they like Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds funny, but it, this is literally what happens. Um, people, uh, white people begin to come become very careful. I will say people of color relax. Um, Interesting. Yeah.
1: If you like this podcast, you'll love my companion courses, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity, and The Wisdom of Mindful Eating. Now, for one month only, I'm putting both of my online courses on a radical sale. Both The Wisdom of Mindful Eating and Zestful Aging will be $19.99 each, Both of these courses have received rave reviews. They're fun, straightforward, and have the ability to change your life in the direction of more peace and less stress about eating and around aging. No extreme diets or punishing exercise. More about creating habits that feel good and are sustainable, which is health-promoting and leads to a longer, happier life. This offer will expire January 31st. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the Web Courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Now back to the show. So, you know, one thing that, and you may cover this scientific piece in the book, so uh, forgive me if I I missed it, but my understanding is with evolution, we're kind of about our tribes, and people like us uh, who are similar to us, and we kind of go in our pods for survival. How do we understand that in terms of our desires then, to have more empathy for the other pod, for the other group. How does that work in terms of our wiring to find
0: people like ourselves? I mean, it, the thing of it is, is that the, 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 the prejudices that we have get in the way of finding people like ourselves. We make assumptions about other people based on perceived race. I mean, you, you know, race isn't real biologically. Um, So we make assumptions about people, and that may have nothing to do with whether they are our tribe or not. Mm -hmm. Um, It may have nothing to do with whether they agree with us, share the same values, like the same music, whether we can truly relax with them and whether they would judge us or not.
1: Mm, I see. So they very well may be our people. We just can't see it. Exactly. I see. So let's get into some of the nitty gritty stuff um, about. And I, 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 as I was reading your book, I thought I just don't know how she does this with your history. Um, how do you talk to someone with clearly racist beliefs? How do you, how do you do that? I don't know how else to ask. How do you, how do you um, deal with your own feelings? I'm not going to put words in your mouth what they might be, but mine would be horror and disgust.
0: I mean, there is that there is disgust uh, with people who express racist beliefs. But I mean, I think the most common i mean look statistically speaking the most common type of racism anybody is going to encounter is a product of unconscious bias um so there, there's some empathy that i can feel for people that they don't realize the way they sound um and and you know we're the human brain is so easily manipulated mhm um We are so much a product. I mean, I, I get the debate over nature versus nurture and it's equal and all of that stuff, but we're also such a product of where we grew up, the people who influenced us, the media that we watched, our teachers, our family, our family, our parents, all of those things. And so to a certain extent, I sort of view everybody as, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to assume. You try to see into their humanity right I'm gonna mm. assume that what you have just said you you if you realized <laughs> how hurtful that is, you wouldn't have said it mm. and and I and honestly, that hasn't steered me wrong all that often. very um, generous um read, yeah, but you know, I mean, look, I'm super flawed. I make mistakes all the time and people treat me with a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I can show others the, the same kind of grace as I have been shown. Is there a spiritual
1: aspect to this or something that you're... You're kind of how you're grounding yourself because I have to say, I mean, you know, one of my values is kindness and it is really hard. Like, for example, I'm going to be just uh, planning a vacation and I was looking at some of the websites and one of the travelers had this big MAGA hat on and I thought, no, not going with that, that tour, (laughs) you know, and I like, and I really try, but I am failing and I'm wondering how it is you can do this with your history. It just, it boggles my mind.
0: I mean, I wouldn't take that vacation tour either because that's not a vacation for me. That's work. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's hard. That's that's tough. Um, exactly as you're saying. Um, but I mean, most of us kind of live in little bubbles. Like we don't really have to encounter this all that much. Mm-hmm and so when we do we i feel like if i if i don't have the energy and if i absolutely don't have the the emotional and psychological well-being to engage then i mm-hmm. won't
1: okay so you have to be you have to recognize that there's a certain sturdiness and you've got the bandwidth
0: to do this yeah but i also don't let myself off the hook um by just saying, oh, I feel tired. I'm not gonna do this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it can be quite simple. You know, the way that we avoid going to the gym or whatever, um, (laughs) because there's always a reasonable reason why you can't go to the gym that day. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I try really hard to make sure that I'm not just making excuses to not engage. I mean, one thing about it is for me is that because my skin is so light um right or wrong i don't f- uh frighten people white mm-hmm. people yes
1: they don't cross the street when you're coming down
0: right but also they say stuff to me that's blatantly racist that they wouldn't if they if a black uh, uh An obviously black person were there.
1: So what's your response when you're out to dinner or you're, you know, at an event, someone doesn't realize and they say something overtly racist? What's your response?
0: Yeah, I have grown to always, always push back. And I will say, wow, that came off as racist or inappropriate. Wow, that really hurts my feelings. Um, That's hurtful. I am black <laughs> and um, and let me explain to you why that hurt my feelings. Let me explain to you why what you just said is is uh, stereotypical and pushing me into a a group and I don't appreciate it. Mm-hmm.
1: So I will
0: use you know what I call the what not a lot many um, DeIB specialists have called the star system, which is stop, tell assist restore. Um, so most of these things are microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always stop it no matter what I will try to, to make it so they can't get even finish the sentence. And so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say, wait, whoa, Hey, hold on. Say that again. Just whatever I can get out without thinking anything I can get out to halt that phrase or comment or whatever it may be.
1: Does that lead you feeling energized or tired? Uh,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to all of that. I see. Um. So yeah, I mean, when I'm at the beginning of it, when I'm when I'm stopping it, I, I'm usually fairly energized because my hackles are up. Right? I'm like I'm sort mm-hmm. of in fight or flight mode. Yes. That's why it's important to sort of use a phrase that doesn't require thought, that you can just say, whoa, or wait, what, (laughs) without putting thought into it. Mm -hmm. And then you can do your tell. That's not appropriate. And assist, which is, here's why I don't find that appropriate. You're assisting them to understand. But most importantly is um, to restore their humanity. Um to say, you know what, you you know, I, I, you know, we've worked together for a couple of years. I've known you to be a a fair, someone who tries to be fair and inclusive. And that's why it surprises me that you would say some such a thing. So not to shame them. Exactly. Okay. And what if somebody in the
1: group says, oh, you know, she didn't mean that, which I can imagine happening,
0: you know, she was, she didn't mean to be hurtful. Yeah. It's the same thing as when like, a, a, a parent says, oh, he only pulls your hair because he likes you, mm. right? I will always say, yeah, it's it's inappropriate. Whether mm. she, I'm not, I have no idea what her intentions were, whether she meant it, it as matter. a joke or not. The end result is that hurt me. Mm-hmm. I'm hurt by it.
1: And I imagine that after this um, intervention, there might be some awkward silence.
0: Yeah, there usually is. But, but, you know, frankly, I try to approach it as much as I possibly can um, as an assistance. Like, it, number one, this system only takes like 90 seconds. It's not a huge m- amount of your time. And you can let it go after that. It doesn't have to become a deeper conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there is an awkward silence, you can move on. You can change the subject. Whatever it may be, I don't expect anybody, I expect everybody, everybody to interrupt microaggressions. But I don't expect anybody uh, to have that deeper conversation if they're not in a a place or a position to do so.
1: How often are you having to
0: intervene? God, all the time. All the time. Yeah. During the pandemic, it's no longer daily. Um, but it's a lot, you know, I, you know, it, yeah, it happens a lot. And, and oftentimes, ta- you know, so often it's completely well-meaning and fair-minded people who don't, that's what an unconscious bias is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not conscious. We don't realize, and we can't be experts in an experience that is not our own. Um, So we need you know, again, human beings are so fallible. I am so fallible. We're all so fallible. Mm-hmm. We need each other to be our checks and balances. Yeah, it's a
1: very different view. It's a very, um, well, it's a very compassionate
0: view. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to, you're a psychotherapist. I don't have to tell you how biased every human being is. Mm-hmm. It may not be racial bias, it might be age bias, it might be beauty bias, it might be weight bias. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's a special, an area of your expertise. I mean, think how universal weight bias is. Oh my goodness. And the assumptions we make about people's character and lifestyle based on their weight. And their employability. Yeah. And, oh yes. And their credibility, et cetera, et cetera. Yep um and so everybody is biased maybe if it's it, maybe it's it's not race maybe it's something else but i'm biased and mm-hmm. i know it and i see examples of it all the time i tried to in the most recent book i tried to be as as honest as i possibly could about mistakes that i've made you know in every book in all three of the books that i've written i have tried to do that i have tried to be honest about mm-hmm. my own fallibility and the mistakes i make and how much i am a work in progress uh, because I don't want anyone to think I'm coming here saying, I've mastered this, and so, yes. can, <laughs> and so can you. <laughs> so
1: there's the humility that you bring with it. That sounds like such an important part of this whole
0: process. Well, yeah. I, I'm, well, th- I, let me just say something about that, which is that if you write a book coming from this area of sort of mastery, but it's not possible to master it then you're you're setting your your readers up for for mm. frustration
1: mm-hmm. mm. I, I you talk about your son um and 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 do nothing how do you talk to him
0: about dealing with microaggression i mean i think he has been watching me deal with this so often uh throughout his life i don't know if we ever had a conversation about it i mean he interrupts microaggressions he's much more aggressive about it (laughs) (laughs) and not always quite so compassionate (laughs) Mm. um as i am but he he will interrupt them and for me that's a huge win um he i mean he he corrects me on, on, on sexist language or gendered language in my books. I have him look over my books because he'll be, he'll write these snarky comments in the corner going, you know, mom, there are gender neutral pronouns, you should try oh, one. Oh my, how, how old is he? Yeah. I mean, when he wrote that, he was about 16. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That must have
1: been fun for him. <laughs> Correcting the award-winning journalist.
0: That's a good time for a 16-year-old. <laughs> it is also a lesson in listening, right? I mean, listen to to what they say, whether you, they're 16 or not. Yeah.
1: That's true. I, uh, I'm i thinking about some conversations I've had with clients who are getting ready for the holidays mm-hmm. and who are really anxious about it because their family members are, are, are known for saying things that are racist or um, sexist or just overall aggressive towards other groups. Do you have any advice for them as they're trying to sort of keep the peace at the dinner
0: table, but also feeling very uh, upset by this? I mean, the first thing I would say is a a little bit of comfort, which is that people get really afraid that they're going to fight at the holiday dinner table. But in surveys, um, what we find is that like maybe 8% of people really fight so that's the first thing i'd say is it's it's okay we have you know human beings have this natural tendency to want to avoid conflict especially in situations in which it's not socially appropriate um and so it's unlikely that you'll get into a fight the other thing is to set your boundaries so sometimes these conversations about any kind of difference, whether it be sexual difference, gender dif- difference, whatever, or racial difference, sometimes it's just a matter of um, setting the boundaries of how you will be treated. So, if someone is saying something which is racist and it upsets you, own it. Mm. You don't. You don't say, um, "Hey, that's that's disrespectful or insulting to black people." If you're not black you say that's upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. That bothers me. Please don't do it. You if you put it on someone else then it becomes some kind of larger debate or a broader debate. It should always be personal. It, it, people will are more likely to respond to that first of all because it's a similar to like if someone kicked you as they walked by and you said, "Ow, you hurt me." It's really rare that somebody's going to say, "No, I'm not. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't. Have, you shouldn't have been hurt by that. Um, but if you put this on other people, it's again in, in sexist terms. That's when somebody says, "Oh, don't say, don't swear when there's ladies present or whatever." Own it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if, if they refuse to change their behavior, that's the equivalent of some, you saying, hey, you kicked me and then continuing to kick you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you say, hey, listen, I th- you know, I, you're, you're hurting my feelings. It's upsetting to me. Um, let's move on or or what? And then you have to choose what it is. What's your drawing point, right? Like what? how do you handle that if someone is, is um, mistreating you? is behaving rudely and hurtfully to you because that's what's happening. Yes. Uh, And then stick by it. This is how you prevent them from behaving that way in the future is that when you say, or I'm leaving, then and they do it again, you have to leave. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is really about creating boundaries Mm -hmm. about how you will be treated. And if you don't put it on other people, if this becomes a question of not how they're going to speak to some imaginary black person who's not there but it's on you this upsets me i think it becomes clearer um in terms of why you have to set those boundaries you're not being upset on behalf of someone else mm-hmm. it's just hurtful language and you mm-hmm. don't want to hear it
1: mm-hmm And and you had mentioned earlier, you know, kind of having something so you don't have to think it through and reinvent the wheel every time, maybe have some phrases ready to go if you know you're going to be at a table where, for example, your father says things about Kamala Harris, you know, or something, you know, whatever, something's maybe, coming. Yeah, yeah exactly. you know it. And so it's good maybe to have some things already planned to say, you know, that was hurtful. I don't want to
0: hear it. And then if it persists, then you know what you're going to do. I mean, so here here's a couple other things I could say, you can always be preemptive. You can say, hey, I'm so glad to see everyone again. It's so lovely to be here with you in person. You know, in the past, mm-hmm. um, we haven't always been kind in our language when we're talking about other people and I would love if we could get through this dinner and, and, you know, make sure that every word we use is a kind word.
1: Mm -hmm. You can
0: say that in advance. Another thing I would say is that do not avoid it. If all you can bear is five minutes of talking on this subject with your family member, please spend the five minutes. And the reason is, is that, you know, that, that you know racist uncle mike or whatever the only person who has even a prayer of changing his mind is someone that he cares about and who looks like him who resembles Mm. him and that's you Mm-hmm. Hmm. so when you have evo- I'm not saying you're responsible for his behavior I'm not saying you have an obligation. all I'm saying is that you have the best chance of making a difference with him, and when you don't do it, you're essentially setting him loose on all the people of color in the world that he's going to behave horribly to when he walks out of your door again, that doesn't make you responsible for that behavior, but if you have a chance to make it better to protect others, then I, I would think maybe you'd want to try it. I mean, instead of seeing this as some kind of awful obligation, see it. I mean, I think it's kind of an exciting prospect. I mean, you know, you know what? Yeah. I'm I'm sort of
1: summarizing this as I'm, I'm listening to you. I'm like, how can how can I think about this? It's correction without shaming. Exactly. Exactly so. And that's very different than saying, you know, don't you know or you're a bad person or who would say that. But you have a, as you said, going in, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying I don't love you because you've said these awful things. I'm saying, hey, this aspect is problematic and we have to talk about it right now
0: yeah this hurts my feelings mm-hmm. and i know you don't want to hurt my feelings i know you're not that kind of person so please don't say that anymore um that's how that can be framed and and frankly it should be framed i mean none of us can come from a position of i've never said anything horrible <laughs> or hateful right. about anyone and therefore i have room to condemn others um we make decisions we we justify the the things we've done wrong we make all kinds of justifications for why that's okay or why we were super tired and didn't mean it i'm just saying give at least give other people the same benefit of the doubt that you give yourself mhm
1: that's a lot to think about and i think just in, in sort of broader terms how we look at anybody who we disagree with
0: it is a lot to think about but again i don't want people to see this as some kind of onus Mm -hmm. um i'm i mean i'm not white so i can't i don't know what this feels like but white people have so much power to change this and and i have to assume there's a lot of people who feel as frustrated with the inequities and discrimination that goes on around them as i do Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and and yet you know, if people of color could fix this, we would have done so a long time ago. The people who really have the power to change this mm-hmm. one tiny five-minute conversation at a time is is white people. And I feel like that maybe that's empowering. Like this t- that tiny little five-minute conversation, mm-hmm. There's the stakes are low. Like you don't have to expect some kind of transformation in that other person because of it. But you've just added one tiny little... Stone to those scale, and eventually enough of those scales and they'll enough of those little tiny stones and they'll tip
1: mm-hmm. that's a it's a very um sort of a a beautiful <laughs> idea or or notion about as a, as a white woman, how to go forward and to do this, as you say, not carrying all of the responsibility on my shoulders, but also wanting to make the world better.
0: Yeah, and you can, yeah, and you can make the world better. <laughs> I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the beauty, you, mm-hmm. you ob- totally can. Mm-hmm. That's very hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have written any of these books if I didn't have hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We could spend a whole other hour on busyness,
1: but we will yeah. do that another time. Where can people find out more about
0: your work, Celeste? I mean, the easiest place is either the website, which is just celesthedley.com, or mm-hmm. I'm pretty active on Twitter. So mm-hmm. I, I try to uh, announce most of the things that I'm doing there as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know.
1: At Headley. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: it's all super, it it couldn't be simpler.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good, we like that. We don't like uh, all kinds of different weird numbers and letters. Yeah, as far as I know, I'm the only Celeste Headley
0: (laughs) out there right now.
1: I suspect so. Well, I so appreciate you spending time with us today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And um, good luck on the book. Thanks. And thank you so much again for uh, helping us understand these really difficult subjects.
0: Yeah, good luck going forward.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different